Welcome to Designing Futures, exploring AI, data, architecture, and beyond. In this podcast, we dive deep into the insights, groundbreaking ideas, and innovative approaches shared by our guests. Together, we explore the immense potential of AI for architecture and design, unraveling its remarkable possibilities and acknowledging the challenges it presents. Hello, Mohamed. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank you. Mohamed, you train as an architect and urban designer in Saudi Arabia, United States and Denmark, with 15 years of international experience working on urban design and urban research projects. You founded Walkscapes as an urbanist studio based in Copenhagen and Riyadh to integrate urban design and research through evidence-based and an interdisciplinary approach in order to address local and global urban trends from a people-orientated perspective. For a decade, you have been active in public space research in Riyadh and contributed with your expertise at the interface between city planning and human-centered design in the context of smart city. Working with GPS technology and AI simulation modeling, you like to balance the opportunities provided by state-of-the-art technologies with a humanist agenda to plan and design great public spaces for people. And that is why we are excited to have you on our podcast as both a professional and a researcher at the crossroads between AI and urbanism, both topics that we will be covering in this episode. So Mohamed, it's a real pleasure to have you with us for this episode in which we want to discuss how AI can influence, enhance, or challenge the practice of urban planning and its development and what your views are on this. Hi, Mohamed. Welcome to the podcast. So just as an introduction, in the previous episodes, we dealt mostly on the scale of architecture and how architects are actually adapting their workflow with new AI tools emerging. In this episode, we'd like to delve a bit more in how the current surge in AI tools and their widespread use and accessibility is affecting urban design practices. So we know that data collection, its application in the urban realm, agent-based modeling have been present in the context of urban planning for many years now. In a sense, one could claim that we already have a very uh, good, uh, interesting perspective on its applications and its pitfalls. So before we kick off uh, the questions that we have and like to discuss with you, maybe you could please start by sharing how you define urban design. Yeah, absolutely. Urban design, uh, if, if I may say, is not a well-defined discipline yet. So in, it started back in CM conference in 19. 53, and it appears basically in 1956 in Harvard University. And a, a very nice paper at the very early times of defining urban design by Alex Krieger, he outlined 10 elements in which urban design can actually situate itself as a discipline. However, in my interest, is I look at urban design as a particular part of spatial planning that focuses on processes of making urban spaces uh, for people open spaces at the micro scale, at the local scale, like small spaces, medium spaces. And it mainly focuses on reclaiming public spaces 
uh, and public crime for people. And that was also defined by key pioneers like Jen Jacobs, William White, and Ian Gale. And that is kind of triggers my interest into the realm of urban design. And that's how I kind of envision what would urban design be in, in the everyday life. Thanks. Uh, thank you for defining uh, these uh, historical setting and the boundaries for you. We, we know that the use of simulations in urban design is not new. And it, as you describe um, it very well, and we know that it dates back to the early 90s I, would, 90s, I would say, but maybe you will give us some more precision on that. Could you say a few words on how and when the collection of uh, data started to appear and simulations started to really become part of, uh, of the work at the urban scale? And also how maybe the democratization of AI tools today has brought a uh, change to the work you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um... The, in, in a paper that I published in the Digital Landscape Architecture Conference, I have uh, outlined four main elements that in which uh, simulation models started to appear in the back nine, 1990s. There was those four main elements focuses on either obtaining a better understanding of specific phenomenon, and that could be in crowd uh, simulations that is happening in traffic simulation where you would like to have a better understanding of these scenarios, but also it's a way to predict what could happen in future by testing these scenarios in, uh, in, in, future, in future and design alternatives. But also there was a third element in which simulation were used in training models as kind of substitute of kind of the human capital and the human capabilities. But what also was triggered trigger my interest is the use of simulation in the entertainment realm and the using an agent-based modeling and gaming. And, and, and in that paper, what I was proposing is, can we use AI and agent-based simulation in a way to, to build on all of these realms of using uh, simulation and social science into kind of understanding and turning the complexity of human behavior and public spaces into simulation models that can be playful, interactive, and they can be utilizing AI technologies in the realm of urban design processes. That's really interesting. And we're, so just as, as a question about that, is that something that is, is that a, an idea or is that is something actually that is, is, is working today and being developed? The fact of, of taking simulation agent from the gaming industry in terms of behavior in, in the urban space? Yeah, absolutely. I, actually, the, the gaming industry is way ahead uh, of the uh, other disciplines because they, in, in, in an abstract way, they work in a limitless world, right? So they, they, they design all of these games with the, the non-player characters that they move around, they utilize AI to understand how the game is is, is taking place. And I thought there would be really an interesting way to utilize gaming technologies in the realm of creating agent-based simulations for us to use uh, the simulation models as a playful way and to use it as an interactive manner to test this different urban design process scenarios. I think, I think we will come back to that uh, a little bit later in our discussion when we discuss your work in, in greater detail. But um, could you maybe elaborate for, for our listeners how AI is currently used in the realms of urban design? Um, some questions that come to mind is how is the large volume of data 
generated from urban environments? How is it being managed and analyzed by AI to improve urban design? Yeah, uh, so I have uh, came across three main models in which uh, AI has been utilized in the realm of urban design. One is uh, the object detection models, and that has been used to analyze landscape elements within the urban spaces if the data are not present. So that could be looking at satellite images, applying an AI model to detect where are the landscape elements, different landscape elements, whether it's greening, whether different kind of public realm elements, and detect where elements uh, like public uh, urban decay, for instance, in the city, where does it happen, uh, or where are greening actually taking place. But it's also, I've seen models where uh, object detection can actually predict where uh, uh, elements of urbanity can happen in these kind of informal settlements. The other realm of using AI within the realm of urban design is the generative models, where you build on the big data in order to, to ask the machine to predict and generate different uh, 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 urban models that are responsive to specific uh, conditions. And one, one of the key uh, elements that is emerging now in city planning is to create a digital twin for each city utilizing AI and, and then to be able to predict what would be the impact of the different planning codes that could be emerging in the city and how would be how would that impact can the city form urban settlements. Ideas like uh, the 15-minute uh, city, the dense city, that can be easily predicted and, and, and tested uh, within these generative models. The third one, which my interest is, is is uh, is actually around is these kind of pedestrian behavioral models utilizing agent-based modeling approach as a simulation model integrating that with ai uh, models to create uh, simulation models that in a certain capacity have a representative manner to the urban reality that we see it today and to be able to turn urban environments into virtual models where we can actually have a living lab uh, virtual living labs where we can test and play uh, around different uh, design scenarios of, of public spaces, streetscapes, and, and landscape uh, spaces. Could you maybe elaborate a bit on the difference between using these tools during the design phase to inform decisions prior to implementing a design and, and the active use in the urban realm for real-time interactions? That is a really good question because that, that is also kind of segue towards what is the use case of AI in the realm of design and urban design. I think uh, in using these tools as a way to inform design that has, has multiple, there, there, are, there are two answers to your question. One is to use the tool as, as you, you, you as a designer have a specific set of design alternatives and then you ask the the AI model or the uh, digital tools to test the impact of these models. And then you have it back again to your design team. And then you have multiple discussions about those uh, impacts. The other use for ready, uh, 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 the other use of it is where you basically rely on the machine in a real time to provide you with ready-made solutions, if I may. Um, that, that we can talk more about how that is quite critical in the sense because the creative process happens in the in the design process itself, not, not by actually asking the machine to give you ready-made solutions. However, the other, the other answer to this question also 
by looking at the traditional way of testing results, which is similar to what I've explained earlier. So we as designers come up with various solutions or various design alternatives, and then we test the results and the impact. The ready uh, and real-time interaction, that could be really interesting, not to look at it as a ready-made solutions, but to look at the scenario testing in an interactive way. So you would have the simulation models and the AI models interact in a real time to your scenario testing and then becomes that would enhance the design process by having an interactive design process and responsive design process by changing the built environment and simultaneously look at the impact of the uh, these these different proposals and that has been tested in uh, in uh, in a physical landscape environment with sandbox looking at the terrain of the uh, uh, of the environment and also the water flow, the fluid water flow. The uh, but but what would be interesting to see is also can we do an interactive scenario testing using AI models by by including human dimension to it and by including human dimension to it that that actually opens up multiple questions because the human I mean the the reality that we know today in city is extremely complex. There are really complex matters that actually. Uh, encompasses the reality that we see today. So can we can we reduce the reality that we see in everyday life in cities into a reduction version of a of a, of a model that is simulate simulating this reality? That is that is really an interesting question to be to be unfolded further. Before we, we discuss that a little bit more, I think one question we we have as well, and it's being discussed a lot, is the applications of these. Uh, real-time input and and output in 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 the in the city and the urban realm in general. So uh, the kind of interactive adaptation of something that has been preconceived to uh, to adapt to an input uh, and changes our environment in real time. Of course, we see adaptations of this in in lighting conditions and traffic conditions. Uh, how how do you see that evolving and, and how much is, is this actually evolving into the physicality of our urban surrounding? In, indeed, I think in, in traffic simulations and also in lighting, especially in specific events, I have, I have came across different applications in which AI model has been utilized heavily, especially in traffic management. I think there are really good applications where traffic tickets violations have been integrated with object detection models throughout uh, city uh, streets. Where if you if you if you're not putting your seatbelt, the 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 AI model would detect that automatically, and uh, and then and, uh, and probably an hour later you will receive a text message telling you that there is a, uh, there is a ticket violation. Um, I think that that is a, that is that that is really an an interesting application. I'm I'm just concerned that that will this will turn us into kind of less human interaction uh, city life, and that is like a dystopian approach towards where where we live in the in the in in a in a large simulation where we are not interacting so much. And I've seen that also in in as as you Natalie well explained in kind of lighting. Uh, in which smart city applications utilizes AI to uh, uh, switch uh, lighting power and lighting uh, uh, illumination in order to be kind of environmentally friendly in in, in these areas. But my my main interest is is the is is 
is coming from the human-centric urbanism and how can we use AI into kind of creating human-centric public spaces and how can we how can we utilize AI into simulating the everyday uh, practices in public spaces uh, more than the other applications in which uh, AI is used in traffic or lighting. And that that's really actually quite a good transition because we wanted to to go and explore a little bit more about how you defined really your your practice. You know, you talk a lot about uh, the three concepts between learn, play, and act. And it will be very interesting for us if you could yeah, expand a little bit and have a, uh, explain us your methodology. So I I was I was trained as an urban designer. Um, Uh, who was um, so? I was I was heavily influenced by methods uh, and approaches that were developed by Yen Gale, um, and and Yen Gale approaches. Uh, he he came with the idea of creating public life surveys, in which first you need to learn and understand the public life, um, and that was a segue towards an evidence based urban design where you first understand the public life in a specific area and then you take that into uh, the uh, urban design uh, uh, strategies and, uh, and 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 acts so that that in my in sense would be learn and act and then I, I, I've worked through that uh, in, in 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 the past uh, decade and then over in in the in the last three four years, I started to ask a question uh, when when AI started to emerge heavily uh, uh, in kind of mainstream of urban design. Would be would it be able to insert a third method in the middle where we we learn about public life, but can we turn our knowledge about public life in these public life survey approaches into simulation models utilizing AI where we can play? Play means that we we use a simulation model as part of the design process, bringing back the 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 knowledge of the of people and behaviors and uh, sociocultural dimensions uh, into the process of design in an interactive way because in, in some of the practice that I have actually seen is that learning evidence-based urbanism is becoming to a certain degree sprinkles on top of the cake so it's just something that to provide to clients that we have understood the community but then when it comes to the design the link is missing And I thought if we can just bring that back again through digital tools and through the design process and creating it in an, 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 in an interactive way where we can still test and play uh, around these scenarios uh, in, a, in a virtual lab where, where human uh, behavior is, is being digitalized in a way. You advocate for this quite strongly. Uh, and part of that for you, we understand, comes from the the need, uh, from your point of view, to still conduct actual field work. Could you expand a little bit on why you think this is important for you, how you carry this out, and and then how do you see this evolve when interacting with AI agents? How is this field work brought back to train uh, agents? Is it done as such? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so... The public life survey method is is a way, an approach to quantify and qualify public life in, in, in urban spaces and to have a meaningful understanding of what that means in terms of kind of creating new urban design uh, alternatives. So it starts with the field work and, and with, the, with the evolution of uh, 
sensors and uh, remote sensing where you can place in public spaces set of sensors that can actually detach you from doing field work and then you can get all of the data about pedestrian flow and uh, pro- probably object detection where you can identify males, females, kids, old people in the public space. So you would be able to get all of this this pedestrian flow understanding and the different activities that people do in public spaces. However, I've done I've I've tested that and I've I've done it in, in different projects, but I, I still feel that it's detaching you from the reality of understanding really who is those people are using these public spaces. So, so for instance, just an example, if we would go and to, to create a pedestrian simulation model, normally what we do first is to, we don't use an average person uh, simulation agent, if that, if that is a good uh, analogy to it. What we do is we, we gather in a very systematic way information about who are the those people representing the community in these specific areas. And we try to create different personas that, that to a certain degree, are representative of the different various uh, uh, sociocultural um, groups that are representing each community. And we, then we bring them back into the simulation. So where the field work comes is because we need to speak to people. We need to understand who are these communities. And also when it comes to kind of the, the number of pedestrian flow, it makes a lot of difference if, if you count pedestrians that are smiling, talking, and or stopping next to a store with, where there is a curiosity in the open space, uh, then just a flow of pedestrians that is at the end of the day in the data set is just a number. When when I have surveyors on site, it is, it is a number, but it has a meaning, it has an impression, it has a reflection, and it, uh, and it, it, it gives more nuanced understanding of those people who are populating these public spaces. So that's why regardless to the use of the AI in the development of the agents, in the agent-based uh, modeling, I, I'm still a big advocate of, of having surveyors on site, gathering specific data in a very systematic way that, that feeds into our method of, of, uh, of feeding into the simulation model. And on a very pragmatic level, I mean, when you conduct field work, what does it entitle? You have what people that are on the public space having survey questions that they ask physically to the people there. How, how did it, uh, it's very interesting to combine that with data. So it's interesting to see how you do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we gather two types of data in a very generic way. One is very quantitative data. It's purely numbers, number of people passing by, number of people stopping, number of people uh, conduct, sitting in chairs. Uh, and we do that in a full day. If, and normally I do it in multiple days, but in, just for an example, we do it in a full day. And normally we start when businesses open in, in the day and, and then we run the simulation, the, the, the survey all the way until the business closes. So we, we capture a day in the life in these areas. And we do it in a very systematic way. So we have every hour, uh, counting stations by people that are actually counting all of the different urban uh, activities that occur. That will have a, help us to have statistical uh, readings of probabilities. How what are, what are the probabilities of people sitting here, and how it's and then we link it to kind of microclimate. Is it shaded? Is it under the sun, etc.? Because that has different cultural manifestation in that sense. So that is purely 
quantitative uh, uh, set of data that feeds into what the machine really like. It's it's about numbers, probabilities, and percentages, etc. But what we also added, and it was presented in our paper in the Digital Landscape Architecture Conference, is a method where we bring the ethnographic data into the behavioral mapping of uh, um, of, uh, of these communities or the representatives of these communities in public spaces. Because what you want, what we really want to do is not to have a, uh, a simulation model that is detached from the causal mechanisms of the behavior. The, the, the reason why people do this, the, the reason why people uh, act in this way in these uh, communities. So that is purely an ethnographic set of surveys where we speak to people. And sometimes we actually have what we call an in-depth uh, uh, interviews where we map the everyday life of specific representative community members uh, in these specific areas. And that will give us their everyday life behavioral map. And that, then we translate it into our simulation model. So it is a combination of both uh, in order to be able to uh, simulate their behavior in environments that are not currently present. Because then when we ask what Fs, the the, 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 the interaction of agents and agents here, I'm, I'm referring agents up necessarily people, but the reason why I'm using agent is because it's specific methods called agent-based modeling, but it is a, it's a metaphor for what, when I say agents, I mean actually people, uh, though that's not necessarily the, the, the best analogy, but, but I'm, I'm just sticking with the, with the scientific terms of agent-based modeling. So, so um, what we are trying to do is detach ourselves from crowd simulations that is based on one, the average individual, and it's not a representative of a specific community. And normally that average individual is, is, a, is, a, is an average white male person that, that is detached from the biological uh, needs and that's detached from the cultural backgrounds and that's detached from different uh, personal sentiments. And what we try to do is try to map as much as possible if we can trace that back into different personas in the simulation model. And you feed these back into what today is becoming an AI agent-based model? Or so, is it, um, does it have its own kind of life once it's fed in with this, uh, these, uh, these, this information? Or is it, does it still stay at the stage where it's we're predicting very much um, through a set of controlled variables what the outcome will be. It's a, uh, this is a very good question because we use the 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 method of agent-based modeling to create the personas, but the main the main approach is we we're using AI engines in gaming technologies. So it's it's a it's a combination of the AI uh, paradigm in the gaming. Uh, uh, engines and gaming technology, and we effectively use game engine to create the simulation. Uh, and we've developed a method whether it's, it works in Unity and it works in Unreal and it works in any different kind of gaming uh, technology. And the, the ability here, it's not, it's not to have a set of parameters where uh, a pedestrian in the built environment will, will act uh, based upon. So we've developed a method in which the, the simulation agent will have three main skills. The first skill is to be able to perceive the virtual environment. So which means that within the within the the environment, each agent will have in an abstract way a field of view that mimics our eyes. 
and they will be able to recognize the different urban design elements and built environment elements within the virtual environment. So first, they would be able to perceive the different elements in the virtual environment. Two, they would be able to comprehend these elements against their needs. So each, each, one, each agent uh, or a persona in, in the model will have a set of behavioral map that actually represents their need. And that has been uh, fed through our ethnographic survey. And then accordingly, each agent will take an action. That is a, that those are the three main skills that actually represent what, what an AI in an agent-based model using gaming technology can actually uh, perform in the uh, in the model, and that is a that goes in a in a in a time uh, uh, stamp. And then using gaming engine that actually integrating it with so each agent will have a memory. So if they went to a coffee shop, they've known that they have gone to a coffee shop, and they can map it in their virtual map. And also we have different agents. So we have an agent that has that is resident in the area, if you may, which means that they have a they have a mental map of where for example, a good bakery is. So they can go from A to B using their kind of routes that it's, it's already mapped in their memory. And then we have the, on the other type, the newcomers, the visitors who not necessarily have a mental map of the area, but they know that they have specific needs. So they know they would like to have coffee and then they can perceive the environment in the virtual uh, world and they make decisions accordingly. So it is not, so each agent coming into the simulation model not necessarily. I cannot predict what they will do per se in these in these environments. So, and we when we run our simulation, you can we we can easily identify areas where pedestrians do jaywalking. They don't cross streets from from the intersection, and that that was an interesting way because then we create different sources of uh, of the behavior that can sometimes contradict itself, and then we would be able to identify areas where not only from a romantic way people will have to sit and enjoy but also conflict points or near accident areas where pedestrians uh, bicyclists and car drivers might actually have conflicts in the uh, in the urban environment so the way moment when you use the agent you are basically feeding all the data through the ethnographic and the field work that you conduct with your whole team um so, so actually, you. This is how you manage, if I understand well, to create that kind of uh, diversity, the cultural diversity, the social uh, diversity, because you can actually create agents with very different profiles uh, and not be uh, basically you encounter. Um, you basically do not have to face the problem that we often have with AI, that it's trained on very biased data sets where we can, where we are confronted most of the time with exactly what you explained, the average, uh, uh, the average kind of profile type of a person. Or, or is my question, is it a combination of both? Are those agents actually trained, are they fed like on one end from your field work and the other end as well from the from more the the internet and the general data set that we're all being fed with. Uh, normally, in uh, in e we do a public life an in depth public life survey for each project, so we don't use ready made uh, uh, data, and I don't think we we have tried, which I'm still interested in trying, but we have not tried utilizing other big data into feeding the simulation. 
So, so, and it, it always, before we jump into any, uh, creating any simulation, we, we start with what is the vision of the project and what is the purpose of the project. So for instance, as, as an example, if, if we have to work on an urban design project where the aim is to blur urban segregation or increase urban social cohesion among communities, then, then we design the survey accordingly. That, then we, we know that we need to know uh, who are the community members that actually represent this community? Uh, what is the different social uh, lifestyles and the socioeconomic profiles of these communities? And what we do, we in the ethnographic surveys, we try to have an in-depth understanding of these community members. And then we create specific personas that to a certain degree representative of these communities. So the question is, is it an average person or is it completely a mimic of reality uh, I, I have to be honest, it, it, it's, it's not a complete mimic of reality and it cannot be a complete uh, mimic of reality because any model is a reduction version of the urban phenomenon. Uh, so if it's, if it's not a reduction version of the reality, then it is reality and, and it's, it cannot be reality because it is, it is to a certain degree been reduced to specific factors and we reduce public life to specific factor. But what we try to do is we try to be very transparent to also our uh, design collaborators and also to our clients that there are specific, those are the parameters that we're taking into account and it is not a representation of the real life, but it is to a certain degree much better than just relying on an average person or a data set that is biased to a certain degree. The level of bias is already there. Uh, and regardless to how much in-depth you want to go, there is always an embedded bias in any... In, I mean, there is there is an embedded bias in, in my response to this answer to now. I mean, there, I mean, we are human beings and we do have biases. And I think we don't need to be ashamed of biases, but we need to be transparent about it. We need to be clear uh, that there is an embedded bias. But, but the challenge is not to have the bias. The challenge is how to communicate and control it because bias is part of... Uh, and also, when, when I say we go to uh, 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 community members... Do, I mean, if you want to tackle the idea of bias, I mean, you could say in which way you choose those individuals. Are they really the representative of these communities? Uh, is this really what, uh, uh, I mean, if, if, if I am a representative of my family, for instance, I cannot be one-to-one -one to my brother, right? Or one-to-one -to, -one to my my wife. I'm, I'm just a representative of myself. So there is a reductionist dimension to it. And we're not ashamed of it. That's fine. Because it is a model, and any model is a reduction version of reality, and there is a, an element of bias to it, and and that's it's absolutely fine. And and but because at the end of the day is what? Why do you want to use that that tool for? You want to use it not to can tell you what's right and what's wrong. You want to use it to can trigger discussions, and that is that is in my opinion more important than than just try to have results of kind of ready made uh, solutions. Mm. And I think that's something that you explained very well. Maybe an additional question on that is that once this data is collected and this, these models are created by someone like yourself and I suppose your peers, is it something that you then share uh, with other, others? That, that does it become uh, a, date, a material that other designers can use as well? And in that sense, kind of open up these tools uh, to others, or is it uh, still something that 
every uh, everyone will have to go through and, and collect the data by themselves. And I suppose, you know, can we trust this is being done with a certain amount of dedication and, and seriousness? Or how do we measure that? This is really this is really a good question. I think we've been very open towards the parameters that we use, and uh, and one of the reasons why I, I it's it's not an open source yet, and it does not have an API where uh, other collaborators can inject into it. But but I and I, I completely understand some of these AI models, especially in the in the realm of architecture and urban design, they tend to be black boxes. Uh, we published a paper about it, uh, and, and in paper we, we explain clearly the parameters that we take into account, and uh, and it's it's an open source paper. So, um, and 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 a, and a good scientific paper is a scientific paper that any other uh, uh, specialized individual can replicate. Uh, so we've explained the method in a in a, in a clear detail. Um, uh, normally, we. The, the 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 secret sauce is is in the in the design of the public life survey and in the design of the ethnographic uh, surveys because those are the main data that actually feed into uh, into the simulation model. Um, but uh, I mean, I'm 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 very open to to kind of discover in the in the near future how can this tool be open sourced. Uh, Currently, I still see it. Uh, we've 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 applied it in different multiple projects, and but I still see it as a kind of a phase of a research and development. Uh, it's, we're still learning about it, and uh, uh, and it has been the use cases for it. And I think that's probably a segue to, to the to the to to your question. Um, the use cases for it is not um, not to validate uh, scenarios. So so we, even when we use it in the design team. Uh, or collaborators, we don't use it, and I communicate that very heavily. It's not to validate scenario A versus scenario B. It is it is mainly used uh, to to help us as designers in the co-creative process to ask relevant questions. And it it would be for me, it would be a huge success if if such digital technology tools can can help us seek relevant questions rather than answers. So the question of validity is really valid, but I'm, I'm less concerned about it. Of course, it has to be valid to a certain degree, but, but um, we're not saying if you run simulation on scenario A, this is exactly the reality that you will have once you implement the project. But we say it's a tool that helps us to, to ask questions and to have a co-creative discussions because I think... I think the creativity and answers uh, happens in when when the different members, of either stakeholders, client members, or representatives, or or design team, sit together in a round table and ask really the the relevant questions. And hopefully, this tool can actually trigger these questions or trigger curiosity, rather than having determined answers. In in, in my opinion. That's that's where it comes probably to the notion of play, right? It's it's just a process that can maybe make us observe things that we would not have thought otherwise. Just like triggers new new observation points or new scenarios that could possibly happen that we did not necessarily think about to trigger new ideas. Yeah, absolutely. The, completely. And the idea of playfulness uh, is interesting because then 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 it 
it takes the discussion away from validity into, okay, can we use it in, in public engagement? Can we use it in a way to engage uh, uh, young generations? And in public participation projects, it's, there is... Um, there is a decline to the number of people participating in public engagement. And then, then, then we are using VR, we're using gamification and a less tech uh, elements to engage various uh, community members. But, uh, but that can also, the playfulness aspect to it, uh, because, because we're using gaming technology, technically you, you can not just look at the, the simulation model from a distance but you can play it so you can be an agent you can be one of the agents and then you play around and then you see okay so what is the the virtual reality uh, that has manifested itself by the new design proposals uh, and then you can have sentimental readings whether you as in as a public member whether you really agree or with these proposals or or don't agree however from from a a technical perspective, and the simulation model that we've developed, it's it's geotagged all the way. So once you run the simulation, all of the data of the agents is, is exported to you in a GIS form, and then you can do all of the spatial temporal analysis and GIS softwares. Uh, but that, for me, is it's just a technical matter. It's less exciting to me. It's What's more exciting is to expand the use cases for it and, uh, and to unfold the playfulness dimension to it. And would you also say that there is a certain ability for it to handle more data simultaneously to inform a behavior or a design than what uh, what you could have done previously? I I think so. I think definitely. Um, I have I have not started uh, yet to utilize uh, uh, big data elements, social media, and because uh, in the ethnographic mapping. Uh, you you could have big data that gives you sentiments of what people like and dislike in specific areas. If you just analyze, for instance, just an example, you know, the the data that are that is available in in uh, in, in Instagram, because when people uh, post photos on Instagram that are relevant or related to specific urban spaces, uh, we could apply models uh, in which uh, we understand the sentimental attachment to these photos relevant to the geospatial locations and then we can definitely feed that into the simulation um the reason why i'm um, i'm not using big data uh, and real-time data into the simulation model is because i still would like to my main aim is to bring the public life survey and the human dimension of individuals into the simulation and that's why i'm tying it in a in a quite a traditional way, so it's not it's not a simulation that I can just do it and randomly. We need we need first to do a survey, ethnographic survey, and then those are the only data that feeds into the simulation model. Mohammed, just just sorry, like a bit as a conclusion, if I if I had to summarize and understand a bit, I mean, because you talk a lot about simulation, I guess AI has helped in a way. And tell me if I'm wrong, but I think where AI potentially helps you a lot is that it democratized a little bit the build-up of the simulation. So it allows you probably to go deeper, to build in an autonomous way as well, better things. And maybe it gives you more space to be creative and playful because it's less heavy to implement those things so you can do it faster and better and play more with it. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the the main the main segue to uh, 
to integrate AI into the simulation model was the 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 AI engine and gaming uh, technologies because uh, that is uh, what's really interesting about gaming technology is it's intuitive because it's they then they're dealing in the gaming world they're dealing with virtual reality and then whatever you there is a limitless to how much you can uh limitless boundaries and in, into how much you can actually do that because the, you make your own rules and then utilizing ai uh in in the simulation model that that helps us uh to identify for instance the ability for each agent in the simulator in simulation model to see uh, the virtual environment to comprehend it uh, uh and to memorize it so it is it is like a uh, it was it was different than a, uh, traditional simulation models where it, it is based on on heavy engine uh, uh, aspects that uh, that is basically ma- mainly I mean I, I'm, I apologize if that was a reductionist statement but it's it's mainly what f statement so it's a set of parameters that you have and it is enclosed and in in, uh, in in a box and then uh, you run the simulation and and that that person who who established the simulation probably will have an answer before you run the simulation because they know exactly what the agents will do. Uh, in here, it, utilizing AI in gaming technology provides an interesting dimension to it, uh, uh, which is increasing the autonomous behavior of these agents that uh, uh, you don't necessarily uh, anticipate what they will do because they have a full autonomy in that sense. And how... Uh... How would you say how widespread are is the use now of these tools in amongst urban designers and urban planners at the level of of, of course we know uh, the large firms that use them we hear uh, different feedbacks from the amount of uh, involvement of min- at municipal planning stages from obviously different cultures and and different uh, types of cities on how um, they're integrating these tools but. Also, in amongst the the, the, the landscape of, of um, the profession, how widely do you see these tools being adopted and um, uh, yeah, really implemented in your daily? Absolutely, I absolutely, Natalie. I see, I see, kind of picking up trend on generative models, and that that concerns me a little bit because generative models, as I mean, an an architect can. Can develop a, a set of design alternatives to a specific, I mean, number. But because we 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 human human brain is 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 slow but creative, and the machine and generative models can generate really limitless numbers in 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 a short amount of time. And and I have I have seen a, a trend now in the in the architectural practice and also in urban design where you use generative models, AI generative models to give you the answer to the urban reality that we would like to live in. And, and, and I think that is, there is lots of skepticism to, towards it, but, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about using the digital technologies as a way to, to give you the answer to, to everything. And I think, uh, I think the, the, the current use that is relevant in my opinion is, is how can AI uh, in urban design and the realm of architecture help us in the in the co-creative uh, 
process uh, of the of the design because uh, can can it help us asking the question to create a paradigm shift in the reality that we see it today? The machine cannot create a paradigm shift. Cannot do. Cannot change the reality that it has been fed into. So if if I mean if it, it's I mean uh, it, uh, <laughs> it, it's it, it would be a big shame if we use generative models and and AI technologies just to just to to be to be lazy and, and just ask for answers. I think it would be really good, in my opinion, if it was a tool that is facilitating the creative process of uh, in the in the design in urban design and architecture. That would be my my take on this question. I think that that's a, a lovely uh, conclusion, actually, to this really interesting discussion. Um, you've fed us with some immensely interesting insights into how you uh, you use these uh, the evolution of these tools and, and with very uh, good example of what it actually means to uh, combine them with the uh, with the cultural and sociological background of a, of a location um, and I, I think that's very that's very promising and encouraging I think also very um, interesting to see that uh, you know, after having been fed with so much of this of a promising um, uh, utopias, for example, we, we, we're now at a stage where we're really starting to mature the questions of how, how to use and work with them, not as a, not as a given, but as, a, as an interaction and, and in a transactional mode with the tools rather than a, a kind of a... a a, uh, a solution-based solution um, answer. So I, I think that that's been really, really uh, great and, and uh, enriching to the conversations we've we've had. I'm sure that um, as as with all, um, this will be evolving over time um, as these tools evolve as well, and um, and we'll be very happy to to follow this and, and uh, reconvene with you in a. In, in the future to, to see how um, this has been uh, challenged and, uh, and implemented further. Thank you. Thank you very much. We greatly appreciate you tuning into our podcast. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics you'd like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. You can find our contact information in the show notes or on our website. Thank you again for being part of our podcast community. Stay tuned for more engaging discussions, captivating stories, and valuable insights.